In America, the rule of law, our constitution, and the will of the people prevailed. Our democracy pushed, tested, threatened, proved to be resilient, true, and strong. Mm. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That seems like a lot of chicken I camping. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm just saying. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Uh huh. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ. Cottage Grove's Queso, Eugene's KEPW, and Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, just to name a few of our fine affiliates out there. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, an all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, you gave me a strange look when I said there that was a lot of chicken counting by the president-elect there. Yes. Declaring that uh, our democracy, our, our system has held and that everything is fine even while it was under attack. Yes. You're, 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 why Why'd you look at me that well, way? Well, I wasn't quite sure what you mean by chickens counting. Well, he's saying that everything has held. Everything has worked out. Counting his chickens before they've hatched. Oh, is, okay. It. See, now you understand. Yes. Do I have to explain every broadcast <laughs> to you? So he's saying everything's going to be fine, and yet... Uh, we still have 36 days until Inauguration Day on January 20th. So, uh, you know, I would just advise against presuming we know anything that's going to happen between now and then. A lot of mischief can happen yes, in a couple it in a month. Can. Also, there are 22 days until the now officially cast Electoral College votes that found Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump by uh, 306 Votes to 232 votes. That is a, quote, landslide, as Donald Trump called it back in 2016, when he ultimately received only 304 votes, by the way, from the Electoral College. So we are 22 days now away from when that Electoral College vote is accepted or not by Congress on January 6th. And there are 21 days at this point until the Last chance for Georgians to cast their vote in the state's two U.S. Senate runoff elections that will determine control of the U.S. Senate for the next two years. That election day is January 5, but early voting is now underway in Georgia. Welcome to the broadcast. Apparently, 
It is not enough that the MAGA mob is now calling for the destruction of the GOP. As we heard over the weekend at the latest MAGA rally in D.C. in support of stealing the election from Joe Biden for Donald Trump. Uh, Nor is it enough that these Republicans seem to actually want to defeat the two incumbent Republican senators, David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, in the January runoffs in Georgia. Uh, Again, for control of the U.S. Senate against the Democrats, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock uh, in those runoffs. Uh, But here's well, here's just some of that audio from their weekend rally that we shared with you on yesterday's broadcast. Now, I swear to God, if I was a Democratic activist wanting to uh, mess with the heads of the Republicans, I I don't I couldn't do it any better than that guy was calling for (laughs) destroying the GOP. Yeah. And getting a lot of them to agree with him and chant along. It's amazing. So that that's not even enough that these, you know, MAGA rally folks are doing that. None of that seems to be enough for this sort of twisted, deranged, diseased, brain poisoned, wholly Trump captured Republican Party that seems to be quickly disintegrating at this point before our eyes. If we are lucky anyway, uh, not only do they want to destroy the GOP and they want to see Leffler and Purdue lose in Georgia in January and hand control of the uh, of the Senate to Democrats. But Trump, Donald Trump himself, took his attacks against Georgia Governor uh, Brian Kemp and Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, both Republicans, to a new level today. Harkening back to his lock her up days, TPM's Christina Cabrera notes that Trump retweeted a post by Georgia attorney Lynn Wood, who honestly may actually be mentally ill, literally. Uh, But he's one of the lawyers who have helped to bring these uh, many fruitless lawsuits seeking to overturn the uh, 2020 election. And as Cabrera understates here, is prone to spreading conspiracy theories. (laughs) So this uh, post that was retweeted by Donald Trump today calls for the two very Trumpy Republican Georgia officials, Kemp and Raffensperger, to be jailed. He tweeted, Wood tweeted, quote, President Trump is a genuinely good man. He does not really like to fire people. I bet he dislikes putting people in jail, especially Republicans. Adding, he gave Brian Kemp and Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger every chance to get it right. They refused. They will soon be going to jail. This is delusional. Yes, it is delusional. And Lynn Wood is, you know, may actually be delusional. Which uh, is sad. Which is very sad. But this was retweeted by Donald Trump. You know, I've had plenty to say about both Brad Raffensperger and uh, Brian Kemp over the years. At this point, I see absolutely no reason or evidence uh, for either of them to be sent to jail. Not that I know of. 
And yet Donald Trump retweeted that to his uh, tens of millions of followers today in the middle of this ongoing election with early voting under underway right now. Now, uh, he has Trump has been attacking those two guys. They're both Republicans, as I said, uh, furiously for the past several weeks, trying to somehow push them, force them to overthrow the election in Georgia for Donald Trump or something. He's called Kemp a terrible governor. He said he's, quote, worse than a Democrat. He says he regrets having endorsed him. He's referred to Raffensperger as a rhino. Republican in name only. And and those attacks have brought death threats against both of those officials and their families and others, and including other election officials in Georgia. But that's where we are, just 36 days out now from inauguration and uh, 21 days until Election Day and those Georgia runoffs. And I have seen them as exceedingly tall climbs for the Democrats to make at this point to win both of those elections. They would have to win both to take control of the U.S. Senate. And I still think it's going to be a tough climb. But boy, Donald Trump and his party sure are making it about as easy as they possibly could for Warnock and Ossoff to maybe actually pull this thing off in Georgia. Of course, for all of the complaints that the Republicans have had about Dominion voting systems, Uh, that are used across the entire state of Georgia, which we have railed against for many years, long before uh, most of these folks even knew about this company named Dominion. Nonetheless, I have not noticed any of these Republicans who are so worried about what's going on in Georgia joining my call to move to a full hand-marked paper ballot system for the runoffs to be hand-counted publicly on election night and thus getting rid of Dominion entirely from the state. But that may only be because these folks don't actually care about Dominion and they don't believe that they can actually steal elections. They're just sore losers who want Trump to somehow be anointed president for life or something, because if they actually were concerned about Dominion, they would be joining me. But no, it's about the president for life thing and, you know, hating America and democracy and the U.S. Constitution and all of those things that these folks are in favor of. Now, I I got a lot along those lines that I want to ask my guest about momentarily. So I'm going to try to keep the A block short here today. Uh, Other than to note very quickly, Mitch McConnell has finally recognized Joe Biden as the president elect and Kamala Harris as the vice president elect. Now that the Electoral College has officially cast their votes for Biden and Harris on Monday. Very courageous of him, Uh, though, by the way, I don't actually blame him for not calling the president, calling Biden president elect and so forth, because I don't do that either until the votes are actually cast at the Electoral College. Yeah, there's actually an official term. I think it's president designate, but nobody uses it. I don't think it's official either. I think (laughs) he's the projected winner is what I've been calling him. Uh, At the same time, uh, there is one member of the Republican Party, at least in Congress, And an actually very conservative one, a literally conservative one, not just a Republican who uses the word conservative because it sells well, uh, but one Republican who now says, as of today, as of yesterday, when he wrote this letter, that he has had enough of the party and all of its members. Congressman Paul Mitchell He's a very conservative Republican from Michigan. He's not the hair care guy, but Paul Mitchell, <laughs> different one. OK, thanks for clarifying. Yes. Just in case you're confused. On Monday, he um, 
issued a pointed rebuke of Donald Trump and announced his departure from the Republican Party, citing the uh, president's vehement refusal to uh, halt the legal efforts challenging the election results even after the Electoral College has now cast its votes. Uh, Mitchell wrote in a letter to the to GOP leaders on Monday that he is fed up with the legal efforts challenging the legitimacy of the election process. That spurred him to request that the clerk of the House officially change his party affiliation to independent, not Democrat. He's, he's not going to go that far, of <laughs> course. Uh, he also told uh, GOP leaders in his letter that he has decided to withdraw from, quote, engagement and association with the Republican Party at both the national and state level. Now, this guy is a very far right House Republican. He's on the uh, House Republican Study Committee, which is the very, very conservative uh, caucus in the House. Uh, he says he's concerned with House GOP leadership continuing to egg on Trump's bogus allegations of widespread election fraud as his cases have been uh, thrown out in court after court. He warned that Trump's lawsuits are sowing doubt about the election process that could cause, quote, long-term harm to our democracy, good for him, and that it is, quote, unacceptable for political candidates to treat our election system as though we are a third-world nation and incite distrust of something so basic as the sanctity of our vote. He charged that GOP leaders are, quote, collectively sitting back and tolerating unfounded conspiracy theories and stop-the-steal rallies, without speaking out for our electoral process, and that the breaking point for him apparently was when the, quote, leadership of the Republican Party and Republican conference in the House actively participated in at least some of those efforts. It should be noted that he has voted uh, twice for Donald Trump. He has a record of supporting the president at least 95 percent of the time but says he can't take it anymore, especially after 126 House Republicans band together to back the indicted Texas attorney general and uh, presidential pardon hustler Ken Paxton's lawsuit that attempts to toss out the votes in four battleground states that Biden won. And one of those states, Michigan, is Mitchell's own home state. The Supreme Court unanimously rejected that lawsuit on Friday. But you know what? While Mitchell did the right thing here and good for him, and we want to make sure that these folks have exit ramps that, you know, they can take their time and uh, what is it called when you decultify yourself? That's you're, pretty good, yeah. <laughs> getting out of that cult. It's hardly a profile in courage here. He had, he had announced last year that he was not running for re-election. So you know what? He's out next month anyway. He waited until just weeks before he was leaving to make this courageous statement, I guess. So, yeah, no great uh, profile and courage here. And it's unlikely to convince, I think, many others uh, who are staying to actually do the same, I'm afraid. But never mind the 126 wingnut House members who signed on to this suit. No surprise there. But there are 19 or so different state attorneys general who are lawyers, Attorneys, members of the bar, officers of the court who signed on to that suit. And that is a different matter entirely. They should know better. In fact, they have a duty to know better. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with one of our favorite court reporters and an attorney himself. Mark Joseph Stern will be here to discuss accountability for those AGs and 
well, if it can be had anyway, and some actual good news beyond that from the U.S. Supreme Court that did not get much attention this week amid all of the ongoing madness. That's all straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. Oh, there behind the glass, yeah. there's a real blade of grass. It, it never ends. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. It has been a very bad several weeks for Donald Trump in both state and federal courts, and that should make you happy at least, including federal courts where his own appointed judges and justices have roundly rejected his and his supporters' repeated attempts in state after state and court after court to overturn and steal the presidential election from President-elect Joe Biden by nullifying what would amount to tens of millions of American votes. The most radical case of which was an audacious attempt last week by the Republican Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who has already indicted himself for uh, state felony securities fraud charges and now under investigation on federal charges by the FBI after eight of his top staffers notified federal authorities that Paxton is allegedly guilty of bribery and abuse of power charges. Anyway, uh, reports have confirmed that Paxton, Paxton was subpoenaed just last week, even as he was filing this case at the U.S. Supreme Court seeking to toss some 20 million votes in four different states in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania and Georgia on the basis of some long ago debunked allegations of fraud and a radical reading of the U.S. Constitution that asserts that election laws and rules and regulations may only be determined by state legislatures, not by governors, not by secretaries of state or boards of elections or even state courts. That desperate attempt to overturn the 2020 election by disenfranchising four entire states to allow their gerrymandered Republican majority legislatures to ignore the votes of their constituents and award their state electors to Donald Trump by fiat instead, that was summarily dismissed by what amounts to a 9-0 to zero decision by the U.S. Supreme Court late on Friday, but not before that Texas case was joined by Donald Trump himself, of course, who presented false claims in his motion to intervene naturally, uh, but also by 126 Republican U.S. House members and perhaps most disturbingly about 18 other Republican state attorneys general, all of whom I suspect my guest will agree should certainly have known better. 
But will any of them, particularly the attorneys general here who are members of the bar and officers of the court, will any of them pay any actual price for their specious, frivolous, arguably anti-American effort to overturn a decisive American presidential election in their pathetically transparent attempt to kowtow to the MAGA mob? And as if that isn't enough to discuss today with the great Mark Joseph Stern, the GOP's newly packed U.S. Supreme Court also made a few other decisions since that Friday ruling, rejecting the Paxton, Texas Trump case out of hand. And as uh, the news broke just as we began yesterday's broadcast, Donald Trump's attorney general and fixer Bill Barr is now out at the DOJ with just weeks left before Donald Trump is officially kicked to the curb as a one-term losing president. Joining us now to talk about all of that today, somehow, is Slate.com's Mark Joseph Stern, who covers the law, the court system, the U.S. Supreme Court, election law, LGBTQ issues, and much more. Welcome back, my friend, to the show that never ends. Thank you so much. What a joy to be back, frankly. I think it has been way too long. It has been way too long, uh, which means we've got a lot to cover. But uh, curiously, almost all of it happened within just the past few days. So uh, we could have you back uh, once every other day and still have plenty to talk about. Uh, okay, Mark, we, we haven't we haven't had a lot of good U.S. Supreme Court-related news to discuss with you during your recent visits. I believe the last time we spoke, Amy Coney Barrett was on the verge of being packed onto the GOP's stolen U.S. Supreme Court. But today, we've got a, a few items of, I think, good news from the court this week to discuss, in addition to the rejection of the Trump's big one. I'll let that linger for a moment. Uh, but first, since we've got this good news, let's hit some of it. Um, on on Monday, the otherwise radical Republican uh, six to three Republican Supreme Court passed on their first opportunity. They passed on the opportunity to tear down same sex marriage equality protections. And in Indiana, of all places, what happened there, Mark? Yeah, so this was a pleasant surprise for me because, mm -hmm. as you said, the Supreme Court today has a very far-right six-justice majority. Mm -hmm. I mean, Chief Justice Roberts is considered a liberal now, more or less. And I think there was a real risk that this majority might try to roll back marriage equality. And it's important to remember that marriage is not just a piece of paper or a certificate. It comes with a ton of rights and benefits, uh, including the right to parent your own children, to be listed as the parent of your children. Mm -hmm. But Indiana was fighting that, that right and tried to prevent uh, same-sex couples, lesbian mothers, uh, from both being listed on their child's birth certificate. Now, let's be clear. In Indiana, when a heterosexual couple has a child through uh, artificial insemination, mm -hmm. they're considered the parents. Mm -hmm. No questions asked. They're placed on their child's birth certificate. Uh, and when a same-sex couple does the same thing in Indiana, the state tried to say, actually, no, only the birth mother is the parent. Her wife, her legally wedded spouse, is not a parent and must go through step-parent adoption. That is obviously unconstitutional. Wow. Uh, if, if straight couples don't have to have genetic links, there's no reason why gay couples should have to. The uh, lower courts agreed and said you can't do this, Indiana, struck down that law. 
and the Supreme Court declines to take up the case, meaning that the lower court's decisions stand, and Indiana will now be forced to recognize the equal parenting rights of same-sex couples in the state. That is an undeniably good news. Of course, Mike Pence being from Indiana. Also, uh, isn't Amy Coney Barrett uh, out of Indiana as well? Is yes, she is. And, uh, you know, I was very worried that she would seize upon mm-hmm. this case as kind of a hometown dispute. But there were no noted dissents here. It looks like the court just unanimously said, we are not interested in taking up this case and rolling back marriage equality. So to be clear here, uh, these were all women uh, couples, uh, lesbian couples, where uh, they were artific- where one of the women was artificially inseminated. Had that happened in a same-sex couple, the father would not have had to go through adoption procedures. But here, the married wife who didn't give the actual birth, she has to actually adopt the child if the uh, Indiana law had been allowed to go through. Yes, that's what the state argued, that, you know, an opposite-sex couple, they get to just be considered the parents, mm-hmm. even though the father is not the genetic father. Right. Uh, but, an op- but a same-sex couple, no, 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 this, this is <laughs> totally different. Wow. You know, this, this other woman has no relationship to the child and has to adopt it, which is, by the way, a, a very expensive and invasive process mm. um, that puts a real burden on the second parent. And, you know, the Supreme Court actually resolved this exact issue in a 2017 decision. Uh, it didn't get a whole lot of attention, but Arkansas tried to do the exact same thing. And the this, this U.S. Supreme Court said, you can't do that. You have to extend the same marital benefits to same-sex couples that you give to opposite-sex couples. This case was really just an attempt to overturn that precedent, even uh-huh. though it's just three years old, and to begin the process of restoring these discriminatory laws. And, you know, it just looks like at least right now the Supreme Court doesn't have an appetite to do that. Does, does that uh, suggest that we may see a lot of cases that uh, we've seen before the court in recent years, but now that there's a different composition, now that it's a 6-3 or three court, that we're going to see a lot of cases that failed before that they are going to try again to get through now that they think they have a more favorable court on the right? No, oh, absolutely. There's no question about that. Um, you will see states uh, and, and Republicans testing the limits of this new court, just as they have over the last several decades mm-hmm. with Roe versus Wade. That's mm-hmm. a terrific example. Every time a new conservative justice joined the Supreme Court, you'd see more restrictions on abortion to try to test the waters and see how far the Supreme Court would go in upholding abortion restrictions. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see something very similar now, not only with abortion, but on a whole range of other issues, because Republicans think we've got six votes We've got the Supreme Court locked up. We want to get as much out of it as we possibly can. And yet the court uh, dismissed this case, uh, I think, unanimously, uh, correct? That's right. And so does this mean that concerns about the radically right-wing religious Amy Coney Barrett on the court were misplaced or overblown by people like you, Mark Joseph Stern? (laughs) Uh, Not necessarily, because this is just one threat Mm -hmm. to the rights of same-sex couples. There are many, and in in some other contexts, the conservative majority has been very sympathetic to uh, allowing discrimination against same-sex couples. For instance, there's a case under consideration right now um, in which a a Catholic adoption and foster care agency has asked the Supreme Court to rule that it has a constitutional right to government funding 
even though it refuses to work with same-sex couples who mm. want to foster children. This is, again, a foster care agency that openly and proudly discriminates mm-hmm. on the basis of sexual orientation. And I think that the Supreme Court is going to force the city of Philadelphia to provide mm. public taxpayer money to this agency and allow it to continue to discriminate. Mm. I think we'll also see more cases involving florists and bakers and photographers <laughs> uh, and even other businesses that, that don't provide artistic services mm-hmm. in which the Supreme Court says you have a constitutional right to discriminate against gay people. So it's not as if this court is really pro-LGBTQ. It just means that in this one-ish area of the law, right. there may not be a hunger to start doing a lot of damage to same-sex couples' rights. Yeah, you sort of argued in your, in your piece that uh, rolling back uh, these rights that have already been established will come at a great cost to hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of, of married couples so that we uh, may not see rights rolled back, so to speak, by this court, perhaps, if we're lucky, but we won't see them necessarily expanded moving forward and the yeah. protections moving forward while this court stays under its current composition. Is that a correct way to look at this? Yes, I, I think that's generally right, and, and we will see some uh, some erosion in other areas of the law. You know, mm-hmm. the Supreme Court has never actually ruled that, for instance, a baker has a right to refuse to make a cake for a same-sex couple. Mm-hmm. But I think that that ruling or some variation on it is in the cards. So we will see some damage down the road. But I do think that at least for now, it looks like same-sex couples can get married and have children with some reasonable reliance on the Supreme Court's protection of their right to do so. I think what you mean in that uh, likely adverse ruling that it is already baked in the cake. But we'll see. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, Another uh, bit of good news uh, from the court this week. Mark Joseph Stern, as uh, Tierney Sneed reports at TPM this week, the Supreme Court put the final nail in the coffin of Kansas's proof of citizenship voter registration requirement, which had been championed by disgraced, clownish, buffoonish former Kansas uh, Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach. I should note I added the disgraced, clownish, buffoonish part, but I don't think uh, Tierney would mind. The court said on Monday that it would not be taking up a case reviewing that 2013 law, which has been struck down by both trial and appellate courts. It would have disenfranchised tens of thousands of Kansas voters who do not have easy access to citizenship documents required under the law that Kobach pushed the Kansas legislature to adopt years ago before the measure was rejected in one court after another in which Kobach sought to push at the national level with his friend Donald Trump, but then he lied about it to the courts who were uh, hearing freedom of information cases in which Kobach tried to hide those conversations with the then president-elect back in 2016. Kobach was sanctioned for that and forced by a judge to take remedial law classes as punishment for violating one court procedure after another when he was representing Kansas in defending this case before lower courts. On Monday, in a unanimous order, though it was one that I guess Justice Gorsuch did not participate in, the court denied considering this case, bringing to an end the multi-front legal war over this requirement. So is that it for this GOP attempt to disenfranchise voters with this type of, of onerous requirement, Mark? Or is that just the end of the Kansas version of this type of voting restriction. 
I fear it is just the end of the Kansas version um, because we will undoubtedly see more states uh, try to enact this requirement and try to argue that their enactment is different from Kansas's and try to pr- provide more proof of voter fraud to allegedly back up the law. Now, that fraud won't exist, but as we've seen, Republicans are very, very happy to just wave their hands and scream and shout, pretend as if voter fraud exists, and use those false claims to justify any kind of restriction. We, we, we may talk about this in a bit in regard to the Texas uh, uh, case um, and to the state attorneys general who signed on to it uh, to overturn the presidential election. But after Kobach has gone on to lose the 2018 governor's race to a Democrat in Kansas and he failed to get even his party's nomination for an open U.S. Senate seat in the 2020 election there, Uh, Will Kobach finally be shunned by the party or does he continue on to have a lucrative career in the right wing fever swamp media as, you know, the GOP's voter fraud fraudster that he made his name as when uh, when he ran for Kansas secretary of state? And I should note he won two terms there and yet he failed to find any of the massive voter fraud that he claimed was going on in Kansas during those two full terms as secretary of state. Is there any cost that people like Kobach pay for their uh, continuing years of failure? Uh, Look, I think Kobach is very clearly uh, being nudged out of the Republican establishment. You know, he did not have widespread support in his primary run, as you noted, uh, for the Senate race this year, and he lost, and you did not see a lot of Republicans shedding tears over that. Mm -hmm. He has been kind of pushed outside onto the, the, the periphery of Trump's inner circle, and, you know, he's been mentioned in connection to a couple of different sleazy, corrupt Schemes that investigators are looking into mm-hmm. uh, that also involve people like Steve Bannon, yeah, in which right. that you know some of Trump's friends may have illegally raised and funneled money for their own personal enrichment. Right. I think that Kobach will probably continue to try to get rich off of whatever image he has left, and will fail to win any statewide office in Kansas. You know, who knows? Maybe he'll convince some town to elect him the mayor, and he'll promise to drive out all the immigrants. Um, but for the most part, I think his career in, in you know, Republican office holding is done. We will see if he is able to maintain financial support from the Republican base, which mm-hmm. is basically QAnon at this stage. We'll also see if his legal troubles worsen. But for now, I think it's safe to say that he is a clownish figure who is for sure safe for us to laugh at. Yes, he is a voter fraud hustler. And, and thank you for reminding me. Yeah, he's in on that build the wall scheme in which uh, they allegedly were taking money from the chumps and suckers who wanted to build a private version of the uh, the wall on the southern border, and then they were using it for all sorts of things. So, well, from uh, one voter fraud hustler to uh, another hustler here before we get to the break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about Texas. But uh, as everyone has heard by now, Trump's attorney general and fixer at the DOJ, Bill Barr, submitted his resignation on Monday after no doubt being pushed out because he dared to contradict Trump's pretend claims of massive election fraud. Uh, Mark Joseph Stern, what what should be Bill Barr's legacy as you see it or his eulogy, if you wish, from someone like yourself who has you know devoted your life to actually covering justice and rights and the rule of law? <laughs> uh, let's 
see. Uh, which <laughs> words am I allowed to use on a family program? Well, yes, it is FCC radio. I will remind you, sir. So let me just say this. <laughs> Bill Barr is more offensive and uh, terrifying and obnoxious to me than Donald Trump in many ways. Because Bill Barr is a creature of the Republican establishment, mm-hmm. a creature of the conservative legal movement. And uh, some may argue that Trump is part of that or he's a, a break from that, whatever. Bill Barr is at the heart of it. And he was so willing to jump on board with Trump's wildest schemes, complaining about massive voter fraud through mail-in balloting, uh, with absolutely no evidence, mm-hmm. intervening to get Trump's cronies like Roger Stone off the hook. All of this corrupt stuff was just swallowed whole by his friends in the conservative legal movement who mm-hmm. never really rose up against him. So I think Bill Barr did immense damage to the rule of law. I think he may have permanently hobbled the Justice Department's integrity and legitimacy. And I think he represents a really terrifying trend of extremist, radicalized conservative attorneys rising to power and using all of the levers they have at their, at their disposal to try to entrench Republican authority, to try to help Republican office holders evade any kind of legal scrutiny, and ultimately to perpetuate his own wealth. He is a, a, just an awful person. I uh, wish him nothing but bad luck for the rest <laughs> of his life. And I think that the Joe Biden administration will have to spend four years at least really working hard to restore some sense of, of legitimacy to this agency because it is the chief law enforcement agency in the country yep. and if its leader does not follow the law, how can the rest of us be expected And to? perhaps most terrifying uh, Mark, is that he didn't go far enough for the right. The right is now attacking him. Donald Trump is now attacking him. Even with all he did that you so well described there, he did not move far enough to the right. He did not take enough rights away from Americans uh, to even meet the approval of what has become of today's Republican Party, apparently, which is really the scariest thought of all, I think. Mark, uh, let me take a quick break here and we will discuss what sort of accountability there should be for the, uh, I think it's 19 in all, uh, Republican state attorneys general who were willing to sign on to the Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton's attempt to overturn the presidential election by tossing out the votes of four entire states and about the legal theory that he was pushing that may not be quite as dead as his case currently is. Quick break, and we're back with the one and only Mark Joseph Stern right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Just a quick thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi Doyen and I stay on your public airwaves. You're the only thing that keeps us on those public airwaves. We don't rely on uh, corporate support or political support. We rely on you, and your support is needed now more than ever. At bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. The eyes of Texas are upon you. No. No, no, they're not. Keep your eyes to yourself, Texas. You got your own problems. Stop looking at everyone else. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman 
from Bradblog.com. As Slate's legal reporter Mark Joseph Stern covered the breaking news late last week, on Friday evening, the Supreme Court shot down an attempt by Texas to overturn the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton asked the justices to nullify every vote cast in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, and then direct the legislatures of each state to appoint their electors to Donald Trump. The Republican Attorneys General of 17 states, he says, I think it's 18 or 19, if I'm not mistaken, uh, as well as... Yeah, I know it did. It grew since then. Uh, In any event, keep quiet. I'm reading your stuff as well. One hundred and twenty six hundred and twenty six Republican members of Congress supported Paxton's lawsuit in a brief order. However, the Supreme Court ruled that Texas lacks standing to meddle in another state's election process. Curtly killing the case. Writes Mark Paxton's case was frivolous from the start and looked more like a plea for a pardon from Trump than a real legal filing. I agree, as we told you on the day that he filed the dumb suit. Paxton is reportedly under investigation by the FBI for bribery and abuse of office. Mark notes the attorney general promoted claims of widespread voter fraud that have been definitively debunked, asserting that this non-existent corruption rendered the election illegitimate. To vindicate the Constitution, Paxton declared the court had to throw out the results in four states that voted for President-elect Joe Biden and award each state electors to Trump. Mark goes on to say there is literally no legal basis for any aspect of this argument which would represent a stunning intrusion of the authority of each state to conduct its own elections as well as a shocking violation of the voting rights of millions of Americans. Well, as you hear, we we happen to be speaking with Slate's Mark Joseph Stern. But, Mark, you argue here there is no legal basis for any aspect of this argument. And while there is no basis for the various claims of fraud that Paxton is citing, there is a basis, is there not, for his claims that millions of votes were cast in violation of the U.S. Constitution because under his radical theory... That's being pushed by Republicans right now, uh, including several on the U.S. Supreme Court that you told me about. The Constitution's Elections and Electors Clause states that state legislatures and only state legislatures, as these so-called textualists, uh, originalists, constitutionalists call themselves, only they can set the time, place and manner of election in their state. No governor or secretary of state or state court can set such a rule or law. That's what Paxton is arguing in this case. And we've also seen it in several of these other uh, cases that have failed. You were the one to point me to that theory on this show, I think back in October before the election, when Kavanaugh brought it up in in one of the uh, pre-election cases. There is that basis, is there not, in his arguing that goes beyond the, the, the debunked fraud stuff? Indeed, and uh, I mean, it's a false legal theory in my view, but Mm -hmm. it does in some ways present a few actual facts. Like you said, throughout this election season, we've gone through the typical process of state courts, election boards, and secretaries of state interpreting and implementing election law. And in October, we had four Supreme Court justices 
say that all of that was unconstitutional, that basically Mm -hmm. no state court and no state official except for the legislature itself can ever participate in setting a state's election laws. That is sort of the hook that Ken Paxton used um, to try to have this lawsuit make a little bit of sense, mm-hmm. you know, he said, "Well, all of these other states, you know, they let these uh, these election boards run the election. Mm-hmm. That's not allowed. But of course, you know, even if that's true, and even if we're now up to five justices supporting that theory on the Supreme Court, it's not clear why Texas." A different state gets to sue those other states at the Supreme Court and get the Supreme Court to throw out all of their votes. Mm -hmm. And that's why the court said what it did. You know, the Supreme Court eventually said, look, Texas doesn't even have an interest in regulating these other states' elections, which I think is exactly right. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad you drew this connection because there is a link between this sort of half-baked theory that, you know, no state court or state official can protect voting rights and Mm -hmm. implement election law and the crazy Ken Paxton lawsuit that tries to use that ridiculous theory as a justification to nullify millions upon millions of votes. Right, and the court did not get to that issue. And all of these other cases that I have read uh, that have been you know, rejected by the, the courts for various reasons, none of them really got to that point that these Republicans now seem desperate to get to, to a point where only legislatures can make laws concerning elections and they're you know citing the constitution for this which presumably means that if only the legislature can make election laws they can decide anything they want and the governor can't even veto what the legislature says is that essentially what their argument is well that is the logical conclusion of their argument frankly i don't think they've thought through every nook and cranny of Uh their theory it's so novel but it's certainly sounds like the logical conclusion is that the legislature uh, can do anything it wants right. to the election. The governor can't stop them. The state courts can't stop them. The secretary of state can't stop them. No one can stand in the way of a state legislature. So even if, you know, the state has already voted in theory under this argument, um, you know, the legislature could simply meet, nullify every single vote cast in the election and do whatever it wants to dictate the outcome. If you are a a constitutionalist, a textualist, an originalist, if you only read the words in the Constitution and you pay no attention to, you know, two centuries of case law and everything else, I guess you could come to that uh, conclusion. That seems to be what they're arguing if I'm reading this uh, as they seem to be arguing it, Mark. But if I am reading it, if that is the way they are actually arguing it, the Constitution also talks about Congress being responsible for taxation on a whole bunch of things. And wouldn't that mean, if I'm a strict constitutionalist, there, therefore that the Congress and Congress alone can raise or lower taxes and no president can be allowed to veto it? What's the difference in that theory in this one? Right. It's a terrific analogy um, because it reveals just how ridiculous the, the theory that we've been discussing is. You know, of course, the Constitution assigns certain powers to Congress, yeah. you know, uh, raising taxes or minting currency, whatever. Uh-huh. And it doesn't explicitly say, oh, by the way, the president gets a part in this. Instead, we've just always assumed that it has to go through the usual democratic process, which means Congress passes it, the president signs it, the agencies and force it, 
and the courts interpret it. Mm -hmm. That is how states have run elections forever as well. And yet we now have this crazy idea that you should pluck the single word out of the Constitution that says legislature and use that to override the democratic processes that have been in place for more than 200 years. But I think that that is actually what they are doing, and they may not get it, you know, in, in this election, but it seems to me as they move farther and farther to the radical right, that's what they're looking for, and that's why any of these cases or really any others will do if they can get, you know, that, that decision from a majority on the court. It sure seems to be what they're what they're gunning for as I'm reading these things. Well, and let's remember, we yeah. came one vote away yeah. five years ago from the Supreme Court striking down independent redistricting commissions because they said, well, if only the legislature gets to draw district lines, you know, if these people want to stop partisan gerrymandering and they implement an independent commission to draw lines, they violated the Constitution. Um, and that was five years ago with Kennedy still on the court. Mm -hmm. I am very scared to learn what will happen today where the most moderate justice is, you know, mm -hmm. basically John Roberts. Yeah, and I don't know what would, you know, what would stop a legislature at that point from, let's say, just so Republicans keep this in mind, let's say the California legislature gets together and says, no if you are a, a member of the Republican Party, you shall not be allowed to vote. I mean, I don't know what what it is in the Constitution, uh, you know, that talks about race and so forth, but I don't know if it talks about a political party. Why not? The legislature says so. Nobody can say otherwise. I mean, that sort of seems where they're going. And then, you know, wasn't it, Mark, by the way, wasn't it governor, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, who barred more than one drop box in each Texas county? Before the election, I mean, under the Texas theory, couldn't, let's say, California sue Texas under this premise and try to toss all of their electoral votes because the governor uh, decided that only one drop box could be used in each county or something? Oh, yes, you are absolutely correct. <laughs> and let me hit you with another example. Yeah. In Alabama, guess who it was who put a, a ban on curbside voting, even though the legislature never, ever, ever, ever passed such a thing? It was the Secretary of State acting yep. alone without any authorization from the state legislature. Yep. And guess what? The Supreme Court's five conservatives saw no problem with that and put it back in place when a lower court tried to remove it. Imagine that. I'd probably know more about it, but John Merrill, the Secretary of State of Alabama, now blocks me unlawfully on Twitter. Now, Mark, a, a bunch of so-called conservative attorneys general signed on to this insane Texas case. Now, uh, you know, attorney generals, of course, are also politicians, most of them elected, and they're certainly almost gunning for, you know, either re-election or higher office and, and, you know, face the same sort of stupid political pressures from the MAGA mob as those folks in Congress or, or state legislatures, etc. But you argue at Slate that attorneys general are actually different because they are members of the bar, they are officers of the court. Should that mean that they ought to be expected to behave differently and not join in frivolous suits like uh, like the one out of Texas? expected to, they're required to, they have to uh, comply with legal ethics rules, at least until the courts strike them down as free speech violations, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, in order to remain members in good standing of the bar. They also represent the people of their state. 
I mean, in a lot of states, when you go to court, it's the people versus the defendant, right? The attorney general actually represents the residents of the state, and they are not supposed to go and do insane partisan political stuff, let alone try to overturn the results of an election by disenfranchising millions of people. That is not ethical. That is not a, a, an attorney general's job. And so I am definitely freaked out by the fact that 18 or 19 of these people were willing to join this frivolous lawsuit because it suggests that they are willing to flout legal ethics as well and that they either think that the residents of their state don't believe in democracy or they themselves don't believe in democracy and they are happy to try to overturn an election if it will get them on the president's good side. If they think this is a legitimate argument, we covered this, the dumb argument they're making about only state legislatures can make their rules and so forth. If they believe that that is the case, is there anything wrong with them actually uh, signing on to this uh, thing? And if they know better and they you know, signed on anyway, uh, what should be the, the, the punishment for uh, you know, an officer of the court who happens to also be the attorney general? Either way, they should know better, because they have an obligation to exercise an independent judgment when deciding which cases to take on and which legal positions to support or oppose. They cannot simply follow the whims of their clients or the people. They actually are supposed to use their law degrees and their legal training to decide whether a certain case is worth their time and their office's resources. The fact that they were all willing to sign on to this case suggests that they don't exercise independent judgment, or that their judgment is so fatally flawed that their good standing in the bar should be questioned. Mm. I certainly think that the Supreme Court should have threatened sanctions here. Mm. Uh, you know, the court doesn't have to get a motion for sanctions. The justices can simply decide that a lawyer who filed with them deserves sanctions. Unfortunately, I think that the justices want this whole case to go away, and they're not going to drag it out. <laughs> but if I were on that court, I certainly would have written something separately to say, hey, all of you who sided with, with, you know, with Ken Paxton and Donald Trump here, you should all be forced to explain why you shouldn't be sanctioned by this court. Well, when the two Democrats win in Georgia and the Democrats, therefore, can expand the U.S. Supreme Court, I say Mark Joseph Stern for Supreme Court. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, well. Thank Justice you so much. Stern. Uh, last question here. Uh, we had a caller on uh, yesterday's broadcast who suggested that those attorneys filing these cases, not the attorneys general necessarily, but all of these various cases uh, that they were, and, and he called them frivolous cases, that they were actually committing treason. I told him that I disagreed, that, you know, what they are seeking might, if they get it, end up being seditious in some way. But just the act of filing a case, anyone can file a court case on pretty much anything. And while it could be seen as frivolous, while one could be sanctioned for it, it certainly is not treason. Am I wrong there, Mark? Here's some, uh, here's some nuanced thoughts. Okay, I certainly don't think it's treason. I agree with you that it does not meet the legal definition of treason, the constitutional definition, uh, by, you know, just simply filing a case to the Supreme Court, no matter how frivolous it is. However, I saw some Democrats, including Representative Bill Pascrell, argue that it is a kind of rebellion against the Constitution, and that members of the House of Representatives who supported this, this, 
position should at least have their their seats questioned mm-hmm. since you know they tried to throw out the elections that actually put them in congress mm-hmm. and i think that's the kind of hardball that democrats need to engage in even though it's probably not going to work right mm-hmm. i think it makes a whole lot of sense for democrats to say you guys are flouting the constitution we are going to use political solutions like are like trying to keep you from getting your seat which you said you don't even deserve since this election was faulty and false yep. um but at the end of the day it's not treason it's not a crime it's just the kind of thing that democrats need to treat as seriously as you know the i think most americans on the left treat it because this is not normal and democrats should not normalize it. yeah and they need to start playing some hardball the way republicans do and if they haven't noticed that over the past four years I don't know if they've noticed anything. And by the way, right. there was I've seen some uh, talk of late that, you know, the the vice president is actually the president of the U.S. Senate, which I'm sure you know. But as the president of the U.S. Senate, she does not necessarily have to give up running of the U.S. Senate to the Senate majority leader. That is actually, as I understand it, more tradition and norm than written down in law anywhere. And uh, she could preside over the Senate every day, as I understand it, and she could decide what comes up for a vote and what does not. Yeah, that's my understanding as well. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the Senate rules, so many of them are not constitutional. They are traditional, Mm -hmm. including the filibuster, of course. Um, And so I, I, I think that's for sure a possibility. Um, although, you know, I, I just would like to make it through the next couple of weeks before <laughs> speculating about what happens after that. Yep. Um, but, you know, I, I support that kind of hardball 100 yep. percent. And I think Democrats who shy away from it are basically telling their voters, we don't believe in fighting for you. Thank you. I agree. And of course, with those radical thoughts, now you will never get a seat on the Supreme Court. (laughs) Sorry, Mark. Mark does the stern covers uh, the law, the court system and everything else at Slate.com. You should find his fantastic work there every day. You can also follow him on the Twitters at MJS underscore DC. Mark Joseph Stern, always an honor to talk to you. And I look forward to doing it again soon. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks. Okay, we got to get out. My thanks (laughs) to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, it's always available for free for download at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site. All of that is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to keep that service free and to keep us on your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. I'm Brad. Uh, who am I? I'm Bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. That's it. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>